Praise God. Well, we welcome you once again to Victory Church. We are glad that you are here. We're glad that you're watching online. Please, if you have not shared this live stream, just take a moment right now to go on your phone and to share this live stream. That would be awesome. This morning, it is a joy to have a friend of mine come and share the Word of God with you. I have known of Eric for over 40 years, but I didn't know him as well as I know him now. And back in um, Bible school days, we had some, you know, a connection here and there, but not really got to know him until uh, 2019 on my sabbatical. I was able to spend two weeks in the Holy Land, and Eric has been ministering there for 30 years, over 30 years, ministering the gospel of Jesus Christ in Israel. And so I got to spend uh, several days with him. He was my personal tour guide. We went all over the Galilee. We went up the north. We went and we traveled to Jerusalem and uh, we walked all over. I put more steps on my, uh, my, my phone than I ever did in two days in a row, man. Thousands, tens of thousands doing a lot of walking, but we saw so much, experienced so much. But I got to sense his heart for God's uh, land, for the people of Israel, and God has used him powerfully. Uh, many years ago, he went to work at a, um, a drug rehab program that was started by uh, a couple that came out of David Wilkerson's church, and now he's the director of that program, an elder in the church that we attended, those of us that uh, went to Israel this last time. What was ironic, uh, Eric, on, on the same day, that we were heading to Israel, Eric was on a plane heading with his, his daughters. We're heading to the U.S. And uh, God sovereignly had a purpose of us being there while you weren't. I guess maybe we were filling in the gap prayerfully. Um, and you were here while the war uh, broke out in Israel and be heading back. But uh, he comes and brings a unique perspective of having lived in Israel for 30 years and ministered there. He comes to preach the word of God. Open up your heart. Open up your spirit. Would you give him a great big victory welcome this morning? Hallelujah. What a blessing to be able to speak this morning without having to hold the microphone. I've got two hands. David says in the Psalms, he has prepared my hands for battle. So I am ready to battle. Hallelujah. Amen. I, I actually wanted uh, Pastor Richard to continue. I was enjoying uh, that introduction, getting to know a little bit about myself. But before we begin, let's open up in a word of prayer. Hallelujah. Avinu, Mishamayim, our Father in heaven. Lord, we sit together in your house before our heavenly Father. We, we, we request, O oh Lord God, pour out your spirit. We, we want our hearts filled this morning with your fire. Yes. Hallelujah, Lord God. Father, ten lanu ze hit galut al ze malim shelcha patuak anaim shelanu v'anaknu yocholim lehiot yoter chazak im ze amuna shelanu. Father, we ask, oh Lord God, that you would uh, open our understanding to hear your word so that our faith will grow even stronger. B'Shem Yeshua HaMashiach, in the precious name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. Well, you know, I stand here in, in the presence of many of you, most of you, as a stranger. So I'm going to give you a quick little introduction of how a guy who grew up right down there on Whedon Street in Pawtucket, Rhode Island, in a place called Whitford Avenue. Maybe some of you know Cobble Hill, Power Road. Yes. That's where I grew up, my, my childhood growing up there. And I, I'm not ashamed to tell you, I stand here this morning 64 years old. And as Caleb said, as Caleb said, 
I am as strong today as I was back then. But it was 54 years ago, and isn't it amazing when, when you have sometimes a traumatic experience or something that's a life-changing experience, you remember every detail. And it was a Saturday night, and I was home, uh, traditional family dinner at our home, and we were eating uh, hot dogs and beans. And I used to like to put a lot of ketchup on that plate. And I sat down in the living room. We just, our family, we just purchased. We weren't really a wealthy family, but my precious mother, who I love so dearly, uh, somehow we were able to buy a color TV. We had a Hitachi all the way from Japan. And as I watched this program, it was called The World at War. And it was uh, the first time in my life I had ever seen a documentary on what happened to the Jewish people in the Nazi Holocaust. And in that moment, as a 10-year-old boy, I didn't grow up in a Jewish neighborhood, didn't have Jewish friends, didn't even know where the local synagogue was. I began to weep and to cry. I began to shake. I, I, I remember it like right now as I tell it like it's happening now. And suddenly my brother walked into the living room with his hot dogs and beans and, you know, looked at me like, what are you doing? <sighs> but I remember even looking down on my plate and my plate was filled with tears. It was like, like, like uh, Samuel the prophet, when the Lord spoke to him. So he didn't, didn't know the voice of God, and he went running to the priest, Eli. Say, hey, what, what's happening? You call me? Three times, hey, you calling me? You trying to talk to me? I didn't know it at the time, even like Jacob, who said, God was in that place, and I didn't even know it. But years later, as a student in high school, we re read in our literature class, we were reading books. One book was called The Night by Ili Wiesa. And it was his experience in the concentration camp at Auschwitz. And as I turned the pages of that book, I can literally say that many of the, many of the pages I touched with tears flowing from my eyes. Well, by the time I got to the university, I'm not quite sure how I managed that, but at the University of Rhode Island, I became what was known as um, an undeclared major. But while I was there, well, what am I going to take for electives? And suddenly, I began to take any course that I could find that focused around the Jewish people, the Arab-Israeli conflict, the problems and politics of Israel. I took a course in the Holocaust. I mean, I just loved being in class, listening to the Jewish professors, and we wrestled and we talked about these issues. But I had a serious problem back in those days. Heck, by the time I became a junior, I was still an undeclared major. And my problem in life was I had a fear of the future. That fear was so great, I began to devise a plan to figure out the easiest way to commit suicide because I had no hope for my future. In fact, there was a time at the university where a group of friends, they said, hey, let's head on out to Alaska, go fishing and we'll go get away and travel the world. And I jumped on a bus with these guys just to figure maybe if I get out of the environment, something will happen, something will change, man. $69 for a one-way ticket on a Greyhound bus from Boston to Seattle. I'll tell you, I wasted a lot of money in those convenience stores at the bus stops. By the time we got to Chicago, I was so exhausted. I didn't know we booked a hotel at the Holiday Inn, and it was so expensive, and I was so angry. All the money they charged us, I decided that I'm going to steal something from this hotel looked around and I said, what can I fit in my bag? And there on the table was a little golden Gideon's Bible. God, forgive me, I stole, I stole that Bible. Well, my time in Seattle, Washington came to a quick end and it was time to go back to Rhode Island. But before I went, I decided to go visit a friend in LA and I hitchhiked down Pacific Coast Highway. And along the way, 
I, I, I prayed. I remember my mother was so afraid that I, I told the mom, don't worry. And I went to a, a Catholic church that night and they had a big picture. The whole wall was a face of Jesus. And I just stood there looking at that wall saying, oh, Jesus, man, I don't really know who, who he was or is. And I wasn't really a believer, but I just looked at him and I said, help me, protect me on this journey for the sake of my mother. And there I was hitchhiking down the Pacific Coast Highway. Everyone who got picked up, they were believers preaching the Bible to me. By the time I made it down to Los Angeles, I saw a guy carrying a sign that said, repent or go to hell. I said, man, I want to talk to this guy. <laughs> Somehow I was attracted. I want to say, like, what's he into? And he began to tell me, he said, wow, you're at the university. You're studying to be, uh, you know, what are you trying to do? And, and I said, well, I don't know. Maybe I'll become a lawyer, you know, just kind of lying to the guy. But he said, but you're interested in Jewish history. He said, have you ever read the Bible? Do you have a Bible? And I said, of course I have a Bible. <laughs> and he told me, in July 4th, Independence Day, the United States, he said to me, did you see the headlines in today's paper? I said, no. He said, yeah, the headlines in the Los Angeles Times are found in the Bible. Go home and read Ezekiel 38 and 39. And I went home and I read about a coming war of destruction, how the, the nation of Persia wanted to destroy Israel and wipe it off the map. It's the year 1979, the Iranian revolution or the Islamic revolution had just come alive. And there I was, headlines in the Los Angeles Times says, Iran vows to destroy Israel. And there I am for the first time in my life, opened up to Ezekiel 38 and 39 of the coming war of Gog and Magog. And right there in that moment, I knew that there was something about this book that was supernatural, that it was powerful. And it took a little bit of time, but faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of God. And I continued to read that book. And one day, like doubting Thomas, I cried out and I said, my Lord and my God. And Jesus changed my life. In that moment, not only did I become a new creation and the old things passed away and behold, the new things came into my life. Not only in that moment did God call me out of darkness, but I knew and I had a revelation of the holy call of God that he had upon my life. And that first morning when I woke up as a new believer, I stood before a map. And I, it was 1982 in February and I put my hand on that map and I said, Lord, Send me to Israel. Send me to Israel. Now, I went there a few times as a lone ranger. I, I had a beautiful bicycle. I put it in a box, put it on a plane, and fell a little short of Israel. I, I landed in Brussels. And from Brussels, I worked my way down to Rome, across to Greece. From Greece, I flew out of Athens. Man, it was such an awesome time. I wanted to do it again. This time I got a better bike. Nine months later, I flew into Ireland because I'm Irish. <laughs> and I wanted to see the holy land of my people. So I traveled through Ireland, Great Britain, took a ship across Scandinavia because, well, I'm also pot Viking. And I wanted to visit the Swedes and the Norwegians. So I was in Scandinavia. From there, I heard that God was moving in Russia, that God promised that it says in the scriptures, say to the north, let my people go. And there were stories and things that I was hearing that God was about to open up the iron curtain to release the Jewish people to go back to the land of Israel. Well, I'm talking, this was the year 1986. Well, the Berlin Wall didn't fall till December of 89. So I ended up in a place called Leningrad. To get on the train, I had Bibles that I was going to pass out in Russian and tracts. I was going to do some evangelism on the streets of Leningrad. And a Jewish guy from New York who was visiting home for the first time said, be careful, they're going to come and search everything that you have. It's very dangerous. 
So I put all my contraband behind some wall in a bookshelf on the train heading to Leningrad. And they came, the military came and literally searched everything in our cabin. But they didn't find my literature. <laughs> anyway, this was the, my, my passion for Israel. And as I'm traveling the world and from, from, from can you imagine, Ireland, across to Leningrad, back to Finland, down to Eastern Europe, had a stopover in Auschwitz, back to Athens, and then to Israel. It was a six-month trip. I was ready to do it again, but suddenly I thought to myself, what am I doing with my life? I'm being led by a spirit of adventure. I'm being led by, by my own flesh, my own desires. I began to go to a, a local Bible study uh, in Providence uh, somewhere, and, and I remember walking out after that Bible study, and the thought came to me, you need to go to Bible school. And by the time I got to the car and started it up, get ready to leave, there was such a joy, such an excitement on me that, yes, this is what I need to do. I need to go to Bible school. Make a long story short, that fall, I enrolled in a place called Zion Bible Institute. Now, to be honest with you, no finer place to go. If you're preparing for a ministry in Israel, go to Zion. Well, three years quickly passed, and a, suddenly a fear came upon me, like, what am I going to do? Oh, man, I've been here for three years. It's time to graduate. I don't, I, this fear from the past, like, afraid of the future. But now I knew how to pray. Ask God, Holy Spirit, you promised you would lead me. You'd guide me. You'd direct me. No greater thing than for the children of God to hear his voice. And God spoke to me, and this is what he said. Israel via New York. <sighs> Israel, I flew out of New York three or four times. I knew I could get to Israel via New York City. So I moved down there. What I didn't know it was going to be a two-and-a-half-year layover. <laughs> and, you know, in the Bible school, they call me the rabbi. They changed my name from Benson to Benstein. I was Rabbi Benstein. But after two and a half years, someone from the Bible school came and they asked, Eric, you had this burden for Israel. What are you doing? You've been here for two and a half years working in the streets of New York City, working with drug addicts. What happened to Israel? Back then I had a lot of hair and I went something like this. I don't know, but one day, a man named David Davis and his wife, Karen Davis, David Davis was an actor on Broadway. He was a professor at Fordham University. He was uh, the drama teacher at Fordham University. He had a student by the name of Denzel Washington. So David Davis was a secret alcoholic and his life was changed by the transforming power of our Lord, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. And friends at the church said, hey, there's this guy. He's working with drug addicts for two and a half years. And the guy's he's called the rabbi. I met David and Karen with Pastor Wilkerson. And they invited me to go to New York. That was the hour my ship came in. Hallelujah. See, God has each and every one of us on the potter's wheel. He's molding and shaping vessels. He's molding and shaping us for his divine and holy purposes. Stay on that potter's wheel. Let the hand of God continue to do a work in your life. And when the fullness of time came, not according to my time scale, not a time according to my purposes, but God had a perfect plan and perfect timing. Yes. Now, I get to the house of victory on Mount Carmel. And David Davis has a house filled with Arabs. I said, like, what am, what am I doing here? I mean, I got to Jewish people. I'm, <laughs> I'm the rabbi. <laughs> the Arabs, I mean, who were they? And one night as I was ministering to a heroin addict... 
who was vomiting and shaking and making messes and, and it's two in the morning. Is that like God speaks to me all the time and I'm giving you the mountaintop experiences. But on this night, he asked me a question. He asked me, do you love these people? And I said, God, I don't know. I mean, I have no experience with them. I don't know who they are. Well, time can't pass. Make a long story short because we've got to get to the end times, okay? God changed my heart, and he gave me a love for the Arab people, and he cemented and confirmed that love when here I am, a single guy. I thought I was going to be a bachelor to the rapture. When I was in Zion, I was the president of that association. But God, in his perfect plan, brought a beautiful Arab princess into my life. And my prayer to God always was, oh, Lord God, give me wisdom. So who did he give me? He gave me a bride named Sophia, which is the Greek for wisdom. So I knew I had been praying for this one for a long time. Now, let me just be honest with you. Four months ago, my wife entered into glory. She's in the Father's house. And you know what? She is in a better place. She's in a better place. But for 29 years, I had a blissed and happy marriage. We raised uh, two girls. And um, this is my story. But so I, I have lived in Israel for the last, uh, since 1992. I've been there for... 31 years. In September, it will be um, 31, 32 years. And, and, and what have I discovered in, in my time there? Well, we need to look a little bit of history in order to open up the prophetic word of God. I'm sure many of you know that it was after the death of Yeshua, uh, a generation passed the Roman Empire in the year 70 AD came and destroyed the Jewish temple. The Jews were scattered to the ends of the earth. Few remained in the Bakopa revolution of 135, the final uh, uh, attack from the Romans, even uh, the, uh, the last remnant of Jewish people left the Holy Land. And so that means for almost 2,000 years, the nation of Israel was not on the map. It was not on the map. The Romans, who hated the nation of Israel, changed the name of Israel to Philistina, the ancient enemy of Israel, the tribe of where um, uh, Goliath came from. And so for 2,000 years, Israel did not exist. So we have a question that we need to really start off with. In 1948, when a nation was born in a day, was this the work of man? Was this the man, the work of, of, uh, of Zionist and Theodore Herzl and the British Empire and uh, uh, imperialist or colonist? Was that a work that they created and produced for their own uh, self-serving uh, interest? Or was this a mighty move of the hand of God. I love it when the prophet Jeremiah says these words because God actually spoke to Moses. He said, hey, guys, I'm taking you in. You guys going to go into the Holy Land, but I'll tell you what. If you guys mess up, you guys decide you're going to start worshiping idols, you're off. You're out of here. Well, Israel didn't heed the warning, and in uh, when the Assyrians came, and then later the Babylonians, they took Israel off the land. Praise God. The Lord said, look, after 70 years in Babylon, I'll bring you back. They came back. Prophet Daniel was reading and praying, and he read in the book of Jeremiah and said, wow, look, there's a promise. After 70 years, he's going to bring us back. Daniel began to weep and cry and fast and confess the sins of the nation. And in the fullness of time, God brought them back. In 586, they began to build the temple, but uh, 536, they finished it. Um, but once again, they fell away from God, and they were removed from the land. But God has promises. Let's call this, uh, th this is really a prophetic act of God that many would say 
opens up the beginning of, of what could become the latter days. Some would say the end times, that this, this suddenly, the nation of Israel is on the map. This is a massive, we cannot um, uh, fail to recognize how uh, big and how major this event was, the ingathering and the coming of the Jewish people uh, back into the land. And, and there, there is something that's written so beautifully in Psalm 126. It says these words. In Psalm 126, Oh, when the Lord brought us back, the captives of Zion... We were like those who dreamed and then our mouths were filled with laughing and our tongues with singing. And then they said amongst the nations, oh, the Lord has done great things for them. Oh, the Lord has done great things for us. Bring back our captivity, oh Lord, as the streams in the south. Hallelujah. God promised Zion that he would bring them back from their captivity. And what we need to uh, see here, it says, it says here, um, what, what does it say? Our mouths were filled with them. And then they said amongst the nations. The nations recognized that God was moving, that God was at work. But the question really is this. Have or did the nations recognize that God has done this? This yesterday, this past week, this past yesterday, throughout many capitals of, of, the, uh, of, of the world, there were protest movements and they were crying out. Uh, well, one of the things that they've been crying out is that expression called uh, Palestine from the river to the sea or Israel to be gone from the river to the sea. This, this actually is talking about, if I could say, the absolute destruction or the removal of the Jewish people from the land. Now, there was a time when there was a philosophy that went something like this. We can trade land for peace. Anwar Sadat, and Jimmy Carter, and Menachem Begin, they met at a place called Camp David to negotiate a peace. Israel gave back all the Sinai. They gave back the Sinai to Egypt just to say to them, let's have peace, let's live together. During the um, uh, Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton, during the Clinton administration, Bill Clinton, President Bill Clinton, was ready to negotiate with Ehud Barak and also Yasser Arafat to give the West Bank, to give Gaza, to give even East Jerusalem as the capital of Palestine. Yasser Arafat rejected the deal. It wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. The, the concept, finally, Israel began to wake up to say, we cannot really trade land for peace. It doesn't really work. You know, I, I see something that has happened when, when, when NASA led the Egyptians in the Six-Day War in 1967 and Fazl Assad in Damascus, Assyria, was leading the military of Syria. And when, um, when Jordan was involved, uh, King, well, King Hussein was dressed in a military uniform, but these other two guys, they, they had suits and ties on. They had suits and ties and you know what? If I could say the clothing has changed because now the Arab leaders or the Muslim leaders, the Islamic leaders are dressed in turbans, they're dressed in robes, they're, they're dressed in, in religious garments. And why do I say this? Because this conflict has become a spiritual conflict. This is a spiritual reality. This is not... Uh, uh, the, the Bible says, uh, I, I'm going to quote this verse. I am so disappointed that I cannot properly quote this verse. I'm going to tell it to you right now. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual host of wickedness in heavenly places. 
we need to acknowledge and understand that this is a spiritual conflict. This is a battle that it's not the Jews versus the Palestinians. And I challenge you today that you also would have an encounter with God, that God would ask you, do you love the Arab people? I have discovered it's very easy for people to say, hallelujah, you Houdin, the Jews, Israel. And I have that. I have that. It was supernaturally put in me. But I ask God, give me a love for the Arab people. And I am committed that wherever I go, wherever I speak, that I will challenge, confront, and, and bring it to your attention that we need to love the Arab people. God has a plan for them. God has a purpose for them. The Bible says that one day they will be united and they will be knit together as one. So as God is doing this work of, of bringing uh, the, the Jewish people back, let, let me just read a, a, a couple more verses in Ezekiel about this ingathering because it is the, how would you say, the cornerstone foundation uh, almost of, of this whole conflict. Who has created, who created this mess? Was it the, 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 the politicians or did God stir up the pot a little bit? In Ezekiel, the 34th chapter, it says this. For thus says the Lord God, indeed, I myself will search for my sheep. I will seek them out as a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day he was amongst his scattered sheep. So will I seek out my sheep and I will deliver them from all the places where they were scattered on that cloudy and dark day. And I will bring out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and I will bring them into their own land and I will feed them upon the mountains of Israel, in the valleys, in the inhabited places. I will feed them in good pastures. That's Ezekiel 34, verses 11 through 14. From all the countries, he is bringing them back. Do you know Theodor Herzl, who was known as the, the father of the modern-day Zionist movement, was ready to make a plan with the British government to accept a place called Uganda as the new homeland for the Jewish people. I tell you, Theodore Herzl was pretty much like an atheist. He wasn't really a believer. But here, this question, it says here that there is a searching, that there, there is, he's, God is looking for them. But you know, the Bible tells us also that when the Babylonians came, there, there, there's a Bible verse in Jeremiah, and Jeremiah lived during what was the time of the, the Babylonian Empire when the Babylonians came and sacked Jerusalem. Uh, he, he writes that uh, in, in, in Jeremiah 16, uh, 16, and I don't want to take this verse out of context, so if I could use it in a very sensitive way, um, Jeremiah 16, 16, Behold, I will send for many fishers, says the Lord, and they shall fish them. And afterwards, I will send many hunters, and they shall hunt for them from every mountain and every hill and every rock and every hole. Fishers and hunters will come after and seek the Jewish people. Now, this is really applied in many ways to the Chaldeans or the Babylonians, and that they would come to Israel and take captive. But today, after the recreation of the state of Israel, many are, are kind of twisting it a little bit, and it may not be the fully correct, proper exegesis, which means the interpretation of the scriptures. But it's applied to say this, that there are groups and organizations that are searching and begging like fishermen. We're all called to be fishermen. Jewish groups that are saying, oh Jews, come back. Come back to Israel. Come back to the land. This is our inheritance. This is the promise of God. But there are others and they are called hunters who are going to seek after to destroy the Jewish people. Let's not forget 
that the nation of Israel, out of the cataclysmic events of the Nazi Holocaust, the nation of Israel came alive. Well, brothers and sisters, I believe it is possible, because remember, I've been following Israel for 42 years, and we need to know this, it is a slow process. It is a slow process, and sometimes it doesn't always happen as fast as we think. But you know what? In 1979, in 1979, when I heard about the Iranian revolution, the Shah uh, Khomeini, well, things have advanced. How have they advanced? Iran is literally on the borders of Israel. They have 150,000 rockets that are more powerful than Hamas. The Iran, Iran is seeking and getting close to uh, nuclear capabilities. We are closer today than we were 42 years ago. It is a, it's a slow process. But these fishers and hunters, we, we see a little picture of this happening right now. In the nation of Sweden, Jewish people are afraid to go out on the streets. A major report came out where as Jews were walking the streets, there were people crying out to them, hey, we know where you live inciting and putting fear in their hearts. In France, just this past week, a woman had a knock on her door. She opened the door. I don't know why she opened her door, but she just opened her door, and a man came in and stabbed her twice, and then when he walked out, he sprayed a swastika on her door. And, and now the rabbis in France are saying this. You know what, you know what a, a mezuzah is? A mezuzah, you put it on... The, put it on the door, it's, it's a, a little plastic or maybe made of ivory stone, and it has the, the Bible, the scripture verse, and so you kiss it, a mezuzah. And now the rabbis are saying, they, they're telling people, the Bible says, put one on your door. The Bible says that, it says to the Jewish people, and post your word on the doorposts of your house. So all Jews do it. Now the rabbis in France are saying, you know what? You guys have permission. Take your mezuzahs off the door. Don't take them off. In Berlin, in Berlin, they're saying to the Jewish people, hey, better you don't go out wearing your yarmulkes or dress like Jewish people. Try to hide, disguise yourself. And you know what? What this is going to result in, because we've experienced this, since I've lived in Israel, we have seen aliyah. Aliyah is, it's a word in Hebrew that means to go up. It was the word that was used when David said, let us rejoice. I rejoice and we go up to the house of God. So to make aliyah means you are going up on a spiritual descent. You are going to a higher spiritual place. And what is happening now is that many people, many Jewish people are going to decide to leave. Now, I'm not claiming myself to be a prophet because a prophet speaks forth into the future. But I'm going to say this. There are 4 million Jewish people who live in New York City or the surrounding metropolitan area. And I'm telling you right now, a million, two million, three million, I don't know, the next three years, two years, 10 years, 20 years, they will all have Israeli passports they will be coming back because the world is going to become an environment, a place where there would be nowhere safe for the Jewish people to go except back to the covenant land that God promised them. This is an event, you know, there's a word, and I wish I knew what that word, maybe somebody knew the word, and I forgot what the word is, but maybe one of my sisters, I've got a sister and a brother here, and brother-in-law, it's such an honor to have my family here. They're new visitors Maybe they might know this word, but the word is something like this. You don't believe it because it's never happened. Actually, I have a word for that. Something, you don't believe something because it's never happened. Oh, really? Well, there was a time when, you know, there was never any rain. So, of course, the people didn't believe in Noah's time that it was going to rain. But you know what? America has been the only country 
primarily, mostly, the only country that has not had serious anti-Semitic activity. I mean, blood, death, violent type stuff. But that day is coming. That day is coming. Now, when, 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 I, when I think of, how would you call it, the, the nation of Israel, see, like, we saw this happening. Many, many French Jews came out of Paris because of there was uh, an increase. There were many, how would you call it, um, refugees coming from Africa, Muslim countries, and somehow there was an increase. I forget the exact details, but many French Jews came to Israel. Of course, with the war in the Ukraine, there's been an upkick, an uptick of Ukrainian Jews coming to Israel. They come from all over the world. You've got a lot of flags that represents uh, your, your, the people where, you, where you're from. I mean, you guys have an Israeli here? Who? Me. <laughs> yeah. um, but the, uh, th things happen when the world is shaken. And, and, and the, the situation right now in Israel is so dire and so desperate that um, th there, there are some events that can only be put, well, I'll call it in the questionable or in the prophetic. Like, for instance... Do you know we have a young lady, a beautiful young lady. I'd ask her to stand up, but I don't want to embarrass Diana. But Diana is sitting right there. Oh, there she is. She's blushing. She's waving. That's Diana. You know where Diana was? I mean, Diana, you know, I was holding my little Armenian niece the other day. Her, her family comes from Armenia. And her family is living, some family members are living in Syria. And I think she said to me, because I met her a couple of weeks ago, I mean, it was, uh, I don't know when, in the 70s, late 60s, she went to Damascus. And she was at a place called Straight Street. Do you know anyone who hung out on Straight Street? The Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, when he had his uh, uh, road to Damascus experience, was blinded and hanging out at a place called Straight Street. I mean, that's just unbelievable that the, the Bible would identify a specific place and we got a sister who can prove to us that that place still exists, okay? Well, why do I say that? Because Damascus is the oldest city in the world. And if you think it's some other place, Google it. Or if you got uh, chat, GDP or GTP, do that, whatever's best for you. But you know what? The Bible says this, and we need to read it in Isaiah, the 17th chapter. In Isaiah, the 17th chapter, it says these words. The burden against Damascus, behold, Damascus will cease from being a city, and it will be a heap of ruin. Let me read that one more time. The burden against Damascus. Behold, Damascus will cease from being a city and it will be a ruinous heap. I say to you that the oldest city in the world has continued to exist for thousands of years. Straight street, if you were in a tour group visiting Damascus, the tour guide would take you literally to that same place. And so therefore, I can conclude in my belief that this has not been fulfilled. A couple of days ago, uh, a member of the Knesset was kind of, uh, not, not expelled or removed, but he's kind of like under probation right now because he said these words, Israel should drop an atomic bomb on Gaza. That was not well received even in the land uh, of Israel, in the government, and he was asked to be removed. Th that, that will not happen. But I can uh, project a scenario and a possibility because, you know, when Israel has been under attack biblically in the ancient of days, the invading armies would always come from the north. 
they would always come from the north. And every time we have a prayer meeting on Mount Carmel and we are praying for the borders of Israel, we raise our hands and we pray for the borders in the north because of Hezbollah, because of the Assad family and the, uh, the regime in Damascus and Syria. If Israel is fighting in the south and they're forced to fight in the north and this confrontation accelerates, Israel could potentially become in such a dangerous place that they will be forced to defend themselves in a horrific way by dropping possibly an atomic bomb on Damascus. Now, I'm not saying absolutely 100. I can say to you the Jews will come back and many will come from New York, but whether or not this will actually happen, but somehow, what does this verse actually mean? The potential is there. And let me also say this. Do you know you know, I mean, actually, the Israeli government still has not really defined the borders of Israel. Nobody knows. This is what they're fighting over. They're fighting over the borders. But God has established the borders. And, and, and you, you need to highlight this. In red, in your, you've got a red marker. Uh, you, you can put this down. It's, it's in, uh, what do they call it? Genesis, the 15th chapter. And in Genesis chapter 15... Uh, it says these words, Genesis 15, uh, verse 18, and it says this. To your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. The Euphrates River. It's actually, you know, not really, shouldn't really be too surprising because Abraham, Abram, actually came from the, the mouth of, down there by where the, uh, what do they call it, the Persian Gulf, near Basra. He came from that area. And so, but can you imagine? How could it possibly be that the Israeli borders extend all the way to the Euphrates River? Well, do you know a couple of weeks ago when, the, you know, they talked, well, hey, if this thing accelerates the Iraqi army, we are ready to fight. We are ready to fight. America actually has still has troops in Iraq, and, and, and those troops are being, uh, uh, how would you say, uh, attacked by, by Syrians and possibly even Iraq. They're sending missiles on American troops in uh, Iraq. So I, if Iraq gets involved in this conflict and Israel with the uh, coalition, they could very easily extend their borders to the Euphrates River. This right here is, uh, these, this is the map. The, these are the, the biblical, how would you call it, uh, guidelines or, or borders of the land of Israel. Look, we, we, we could talk more uh, about many different things. Uh, just quickly touch on something like this. When we talk about end times, and I'm, I'm sure uh, Pastor Richard, uh, he's, he's doing a series. It's kind of coincidental. I'm here while they're doing a series in the church, and I trust it's full it's full. It's a full house. If not, we need to be. We need to fill this house to get filled up with an understanding of God's word to build up our faith. We need to stand strong in our faith because as Paul says in 1 Timothy, uh, he says, perilous, perilous times are coming. Difficult days are coming. And brothers and sisters, if we are not comforted and edified by the power of God's word, these days will come upon us and we will be filled with fear and trembling. And that's not the place, it's not the will of God for your lives, but God wants to give us understanding. I, I, I love it. it. It says in John, the, 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 uh, the 16th chapter, and I, I could almost quote the verse, but I, I wanna read it absolute accurate, how would you call it? Wow. It's in the 16th chapter, verse 13. It says these words, however, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he 
will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. He will tell you things to come. If we want to understand what the future has, we need, as we said in the beginning, not by might, not by power, but by your spirit. Lord God, fill us with your spirit. We are the temple of the living God. And if we are walking in, in the ways of God, in the holiness of God, and yes, we'll fall and we can confess our sins. We can ask him to forgive us and cleanse us through the power of his blood. Hallelujah. We overcome by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. What a powerful thing. The blood and our testimony are in an almost, I don't want to say an equal footing, but there is something powerful about our testimony I shared with you briefly mine. This is my history, but it's really the history of God in my life. And each one of us needs to have a personal history with God in your life. Now you can proclaim it. You can tell people, look what the Lord has done for me. I was blind and now I say, this son of mine, he was dead and now he is alive. Hallelujah. Our God is able. There is nothing impossible with our God. He wants to dwell amongst his people. And as the temple of God, oh, he wants to be in the midst of us. But in Israel, they don't believe in any of these things that I'm telling you. And they are hoping one day, because the vision of the rabbis 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago, you know the story when Passover, when they put up the last cup, what would they cry out? Next year in Jerusalem. Next year in Jerusalem. At every Jewish wedding, when the wedding is over in the chuppah, they do this. You know what that means? They step on a cup. They break a cup. And there's a couple of different interpretations, but in a Jewish wedding, when they break that glass, it's a reminder of the destruction of the temple and how the temple was destroyed. The Jewish people have never forgotten about their temple because it was the focal point of, of, of their faith. Today, what we have is a man-made religion for the Jewish people. It's a man, and if I could just steal, I, I know we're running over, and I'm going to try to bring this to a quick end, but we're, we're here. We can't help but, but say this word right here. This is the testimony of the Jewish people in the book of Romans. What Paul says, on my heart's desire, my prayer for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear witness to have a zeal for God, but, but, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, they have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. See, they have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. And the book of Corinthians tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 21 maybe, somewhere in that neighborhood, it says this, God took our sins and gave us his righteousness. This is what happened at the cross, and it only happens at the cross of Jesus Christ. It doesn't happen through a man-made religion. So the Jewish people, they are desiring, they said, well, we just get to Israel, and if we only can get Jerusalem, then one day we'll build our temple. And there are people who want to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. I'll tell you, this, we're talking end time prophecy, we're talking future events, this is a big one. Now, as a former president of the, the Rapture Club, right, I don't know, we might not be here. You planning on being here in those days? Rich is not going. If you're not hanging with Richard, bro, you might miss him. Okay? But we don't know exactly. They're going to start to talk about it. 
They're going to discuss it. It's going to be headline news. We don't really know the timeline, the order exactly of all the events. But they're making plans to build this. But there are other people who say, no way, no way. There will never be a Jewish temple. Well, Jesus himself confirmed it. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when he talked about, um, well, 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 let's just read one more place. In, and we'll start in, well, first one I get to Mark. Mark 13, 14. It says this, Mark 13, 14. So, so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet standing where it ought not, <laughs> let the reader understands <sighs> look at that let the reader understands you know this is so powerful this is why we can say faith comes by hearing and hearing from the word of God. Well, I don't have any faith well read the Bible let the word of God speak to you man does not live by bread alone but by every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. And, and the scriptures have been inspired. This is the God-breathed word of God. As he breathed upon Adam, as he breathed upon the valley of dry bones in Ezekiel 37, as he breathed upon the disciples in the upper room and said, Receive ye the Spirit. God wants to breathe upon us through his inspired word. And it has the power to change our life. When Jesus said, the words I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. And if you don't have the spirit and you don't have the newness of life, because you need to let Jesus speak to you through his word. But here, here it says, the desolation. And when you see this abomination of desolation, be careful, beware. And what is the abomination of desolation? This comes straight out of the book of Daniel. The prophet Daniel in the ninth chapter, one of the most amazing prophetic prophecies in the word of God. Look it up. You need to be Bereans. A Berean is someone, you go home, you study the word of God. Get this tape. I don't know, are we being taped? Are we being filmed? You go home and you, you get the notes. You listen to it again. But in the book of Daniel, Daniel got the revelation that this is going to happen. But Paul in, 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 in Timothy says these words. Excuse me. And, this one, and, and we are coming quickly to an end. Remember, book of Philippians had three closings. We might only have two today. Okay? Maybe. Um, in Thessalonians, chapter 2. Now, brethren... Concerning our Lord Jesus. This is 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken or troubled in mind, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Messiah had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless there is first a falling away. And, and, and brothers and sisters, I think that already we know there is a falling away today. We're living in a day where we are living in a post-faith uh, era. And that falling away comes first, and then the man of sin is revealed. The son of perdition, he opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And look, look at what it says here in verse five. I mean, do, do you not remember that when I was still with you? I mean, I, I told you about these things. I, I, can, I can hear Pastor Richard say, man, don't you remember which what that Bible said? We, we talked about this stuff. You don't remember? And how, how intimate, how personal Paul gets with that question. We talked about this. You don't remember. This is the problem. The children of Israel, they forgot the ways of God. They forgot him. Brothers and sisters, we need to remember. We need to get the word, get it in us. It's our food. It's our, 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 our life. But I tell you what, 
Paul says this is going to happen and therefore a temple needs to be rebuilt in Jerusalem. Do you know Israel woke up two months ago or whenever it was that, are you serious? They are secretly negotiating a peace plan with Saudi Arabia? Saudi Arabia is the home of the, the holiest sites, Mecca and Medina of the Islamic faith. But the, the, the third holiest site to Islam is Jerusalem. See, Muhammad was there on his night ride, went to heaven. Apparently, from Mecca or Medina, you could not get a direct flight to heaven. You needed to have a layover in Jerusalem. <laughs> and Muhammad came there, went up. But you know what Saudi Arabia wants? They want to be the caretakers of the third most holy place. Tell you, there could be, if there's a peace agreement with Saudi Arabia, they could strike a deal for the temple. They could, nobody knows. Nobody knows how it's going to happen or when it's going to happen. In, in closing, the Bible talks about in the book of Ezekiel, the 30 or 5th chapter, it says that there is an ancient hatred between the Jews and the Arabs. I personally, firsthand, if I had more time, I would tell you personal experience. I've seen hatred from the Arabs and I've seen hatred from the Jewish people towards the Arabs. My, my children are Arab. It's very personal. It's very personal. And yet, love covers. Love covers over a multitude of sin. Amen. Bible says that he wants to pour out his love. He shed his love abroad into our hearts. Oh, we need more love. We need more love. Uh, a mother in Jerusalem whose daughter was taken captive by Hamas brought a group of people to her house. They had a prayer meeting. They were filming it. They brought the Jewish scrolls and she was crying out and she said these words, saying crying out, God, I love you. I love you. A mother who had her daughter held in a Hamas tunnel was crying out, God, I still love you. I mean, this should put us, it should challenge us how strong, how great is our love. Because the Bible says that nothing will separate us from the love of Messiah. And we need to have this passion, this love, burning in our hearts. But the Bible says here that there is an ancient hatred and it goes down from Ishmael and Isaac. It goes from Esau to Jacob. It goes from the descendants of Ishmael and Isaac to uh, 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 Melech who was living in Edom. And if we read in uh, uh, Obadiah, Obadiah speaks about the soon coming judgment upon, Obadiah, uh, uh, upon Edom, which represents the Arab nations, actually. Because if you look in Arabic historical writings, Esau and Ishmael are the roots of the Arabic people. And this is the tension. This is the ancient hatred. Ephesians chapter 2 speaks about a one new man company. That God came, Jesus came to break down the wall and partition that separates the Jews and the Gentiles or the Jews and the Arabs. That Jesus came by his cross, he says like this, to put to death the hatred of the enmity. God wants to deal with our hearts. He wants to take, if there is anything, and you know, hatred is, the seed of hatred is unforgiveness. They're a root of unforgiveness. It's such a dangerous place. It could be so easily dealt with, an offense, a hurt, or a wound, or we confess, we go to the person, we go to God. But if it festers and takes root, it becomes hatred. But we still have the power through the Holy Spirit to put it to death. 
Hallelujah. I'm, I'm going to ask you all to stand. We're, we're here to, I'm sorry that I, you know, stole a few minutes. Um, but brothers and sisters, we need to search. We need to search our hearts. We need to ask ourselves the question, do we know Shalom? Do we know the Prince of Peace? That even in these troubled times, that we have a peace that passes all understanding. Would you still cry out, Lord, I love you, even if you were going through a horrific situation? Hallelujah. You heard some things today. Maybe you didn't understand. Maybe you never heard. Maybe you don't even believe some of the things I spoke. And you want to ask God, God, give me a revelation. Give me an understanding. Give me a hunger for your word. Wherever you're at today, because our God, he is so personal. He's so, he wants to meet every one of us. So as the, as the, the worship team comes, if, if you want to just come down and have an encounter with the Lord, just spend a moment with him. Maybe to ask the Lord to build up your most holy faith. Hallelujah, Lord God. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Why don't we end with a few moments of prayer at these altars at your seat. Just seeking God. God has to start the work in his people first. God has to do something new in our hearts. Give us revelation. Give us understanding. Fill us with his love. Heal us. Restore us so that we can be the church, that we can be the agent of peace, the agent of influence in our culture and our society. Come on, take a few moments right now. Lord, begin the work in me. Lord, begin the work in this church. Oh, God, oh, God, heal our hearts, God. God, forgive us for any, any bitterness, any hatred, any racism, God, any, any condescension, Father. Heal us, Lord. As we wait, see.